I read this quotation about a month ago. It really resonated with me. I found it to be very true. It's from a man named Michael Frost. He says, when predictability is high, the degree of communication that takes place is invariably low. Alternatively, as predictability decreases, so communication increases. What's he saying? If you hear a lesson or you're part of a service that is unpredictable or surprising, it probably will get your attention better than anything else. I think the author understands that. You see his name up here, Michael Frost. Read the name of the title of his book. Are you guys here? What is the title of his book? Say it all together. You don't even want to say that, do you? It just doesn't sound right, you know, and I think he believes in being provocative. And if you read the book, you'll understand why he uses that title. It's to get your attention. And we all know, you know, if you come to service and everything is always the same way every week. How many of you grew up in a church where you had three songs of prayer, a song of communion, a song of the message, a song of the closing prayer? How many of you got that? And you just knew it was all predictable. That's why we try to shake it up a little bit. Why? Because if you can predict it, you might tune it off. I know this in preaching. My predecessor, the great man named Ken Kilpatrick, I know he preached a lot of good messages in this building. But the message I hear about for 25 years is a message where he was using an unbreakable plate. I don't even know what the point was. But he threw the plate down this floor and it burst into smithereens. <laughs> totally messed up his point. But that's what everybody remembers. Some of you guys remember that? I, I think about possibly the most unforgettable message I have ever uh, spoken. In 2007, I, someone brought this up to me last week. In 2007, I'm going to Lindsay's high school graduation. Al Milligan walks up to me about three minutes before the graduation starts. He said, they want you to speak. I just laugh. I think it's a joke. He says, the speaker has not shown up, and they want you to speak for ACA's graduation. I had enough time to get up from my seat, walk to the parking lot, get my Bible out of my car, and walk straight onto the stage and begin my speech. And, and I give the Holy Spirit all the credit for that. It's probably the best speech I've ever given. Because it was so unpredictable, so unusual that everybody paid attention. They actually asked me to recreate that moment four years later at graduation, and I fell on my face. It just had to be that moment. And here's the news today. Jesus is the master teacher. No one is more unpredictable and unforgettable than Jesus. In fact, today, we're first of all going to look at an unforgettable moment in Jesus' life, and, and then we're going to look at an unforgettable message. Let's start with the moment. Wish you had not heard this story so many times. If it's fresh to you, you'll love it, because it's so shockingly surprising. Uh, they're eating the Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples. The cross is really close by. His hour has come. The scripture says that Jesus wants to prove to his disciples how much he loves them. So they're, they're laying around the table the way they did then. The problem is no one had washed each other's feet. Normally when you came into home, you had a slave or a servant or the lowest, lowliest person there and, and to get you ready to have you actually clean because you walked in sandals, they would wash your feet. 
But as Max Licato says, we're in a room full of proud hearts and dirty feet. And so, low in the middle of this mood, in this meal, guess who stands up? It's Jesus. He takes his outer garment on, he girds himself with a towel, he gets a basin of water, and he gets on his knees, and he goes around and washes those 12 men's feet. This is God, friends. This is God. And, and, and even to add to the story, he washes Judas Iscariot's feet. Can you imagine that? He, he actually even washes Peter's feet, and Peter's not happy about it, okay? So Peter objects. He's like, are you going to wash my feet, he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, just hold, hold on there, bud. Hold on. Let me do this, and later you'll understand. And then Peter gets really hot. He says, no, never will you wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. What's the text stop right there, right? Peter, please be quiet. Peter can never be quiet. What does Peter say? Okay, Lord, well then wash my feet and my head and my hands my whole body. Can you imagine if you're Jesus? Jesus has to say this line, only your feet are dirty. Okay? I mean, what a line. And so Jesus washes their feet. And then he's got the lesson he wants to give them from this. Look at John 13, verse 12. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, correct titles, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Here's the point. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. For truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now guys, again, I wish I'd not heard that story so many times. Besides the cross, I think it's the most surprising, unpredictable story in Scripture. I mean, imagine the headline. The headline is, humble God washes feet. Think about that for a second. First of all, the first part of that no one before the time of Jesus had ever put the words humble and God together. They just didn't fit. You wouldn't want a God who was humble. He had to be powerful and great and mighty. And then, can you imagine a God? I mean, just, just get that in your head. God comes to this earth, not sitting on throne, not being served by others, but actually on his knees, washing people's feet. Can you imagine that headline? It's still a shocker. I tried to think of a headline that might be just as shocking. I couldn't do it, but it's the best I could come up with. President Trump and President Biden come together to wash the dirty cars of poor people in D.C. on the White House lawn. Anybody think that's possible? No. No, we wouldn't see those guys get together. We wouldn't dare see that. That's not... We always say, that wouldn't be presidential. My friends, if you think that is shocking, what Jesus did here is God Almighty is ten times more shocking. So, we, we've seen this incredible moment. Now I want you to see with me an incredible message that Jesus gives, an unforgettable message about this very topic. Go with me to Mark chapter 10. You'll see this up on the screens. But here's where Jesus 
continues to try to get this through to his disciples. Look at verse 35, pretty interesting. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that's Jesus. Teacher, they says, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> Blank check. We ask it, you do it. Any of you parents can say yes to that. Oh yeah, whatever you want, just tell me. No, you're going to say, would you please ask me first? And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, um, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. They're jockeying for power and position. They won't, they know Jesus is going to be the president, but they'd at least like to be the vice presidents. Now, if you read Matthew's rendition of the story, you find out an additional detail is that their mother came with them, okay? In other words, James and John ask, and also mommy. Mommy, please, please, would you please let my sons be in this position? An interesting fact is their mother was Jesus's aunt. So they think that gives some pressure. And Jesus says, you guys, you're still not getting it. You don't understand. Look at verse 38. You do not know what you're asking. And then Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Cup throughout the Gospels is talking about that final hour where Jesus is able to drink the cup of sin and death on the cross and baptized. They don't have any problem here with the meaning of baptism like we debate. It's just simply immersion. What's he saying? Are you guys able to be completely surrounded and immersed into suffering like me? And of course, they braggadocious that we can. And then Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at the right or left is not for me to grant. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not in charge of assigning seats in the kingdom. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. So he gets them straight. And then he's got another group upset on his hands. Look at verse 41. How about the other 10 guys? When they heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, help me out here. Why are they so ticked off? Well, there's a couple of ideas here. One idea makes a lot of sense is they feel like they're using their, their relationships, their family relationship with Jesus to get an advantage. The other, when you read about these guys, might be more fitting. They're just mad that James and John got to it before them. So they're upset with Jesus. And Jesus says, I got some teaching to do. Got some explaining to do. Look at verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Guys, you're buying into a worldly view of leadership and power. Leadership and power in the world is about lording. It's about being authoritative. It's about being domineering. And Jesus is going to flip the script. Look at the next four words. Not so with you. Now, it's a plural there. Not so with y'all. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. 
For even, here we go, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Man, what an unforgettable message. It's upside down. It, 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 it destroys the worldly flowchart. Guys on top, everybody's below. Jesus says it's the person on bottom who's great, and it flows up. You see, Francis Chan puts it this way. At the core of the Christian faith lies this belief that Almighty God humbled himself to serve and to die for us. I don't know about you, that's why I can't get away from Jesus. What other God would be this way? So what does Jesus do for us? Let me me give you a few points rather quickly. First of all, Jesus redefines our understanding of leadership. In his day, leadership's looked at just like our day. It's Caesar Augustus, who calls himself God, who has his name put on coins with the inscription, he desires, deserves, excuse me, adoration. I mean, even would say, is, is it better to rule or is it better to serve? Jesus says it's better to serve. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? Now, if we weren't in the middle of this message, what would you answer? I know what I answer. I want to, I want to sit there and enjoy the meal without getting up and going through the hassle. Let, let me be served the dinner. Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's different. The great person is not the one who receives. It's the one who serves. Now, the cool thing about scripture is that Jesus is always right. This is the strongest form of leadership. A revolutionary book was written in 1960 called Servant Leadership by a man named Robert Greenfield. It's still a popular text on college campuses today. And it's one text where even on the most secular of campuses, the name of Jesus has to be mentioned. Why? Because Jesus is the epitome of of the power of servant leadership. So, second thing, Jesus redirects our desire for greatness. Do not read this wrong. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to want to be great. Jesus is not saying I want my people to be ambitionless, just sort of be milk toast, don't care, don't speak out. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. He said, I I want you to desire greatness, but let me define greatness. I I want you to be, I want you to be a leader, but let me show you what a real godly, Christ-reflecting leader is like. You see, what God needs today is he needs every one of us sitting in this room today to want to be great, to have an ambition that takes over your life. Here's the difference. It's not self-ambition. It's God-ambition. We revere people like that. I read this story this week about the American Revolution, and there was a, um, you know, a, a breached wall that was being repaired by some soldiers. There was a man that was standing and sort of barking orders to them on how to do it. There was another man who came riding by on a horse, and so he was wearing civilian clothes. And he asked the guy who's barking the orders, Sir, who are you? And he proudly answered, 
corporal so-and-so. Well, the man on the horse just, just gets off his horse. He, he goes where the guys are working on the breach wall and helps them repair it. And then he gets back on his horse and he looks over to the corporal and says, Mr. Corporal, the next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. Guess who the man in civilian clothes was? None other than George Washington, the commanding officer, future president of our country. It's that kind of leadership that we want to follow. The next point, he reveals our source of joy. And this is what may come at us indirectly because we all want to be happy, we want to be joyful, and when I picture it, I do picture myself at this incredible table with people serving me. And Jesus says, joy is not a, a product of what people do for you. It's a byproduct of you losing yourself in someone else's life. In fact, Jesus said this, if you lose your life, you'll what? Find it. If you find your life, you'll lose it. No, we've all experienced this. On, on, on my most selfish, self-centered days where I'm so worried about who spoke to me and who didn't speak to me and how was I treated and did things go the way I'd planned, I'm just telling you, those are miserable days confirming what Jesus says. But you've probably caught this too on those wonderful days where I get caught up in serving God and serving people and it's not about me at all. I lay my head on the pillow with a sense of joy and satisfaction. Jesus is right. I love this experiment a marriage counselor did with this couple. He'd been working with them for a year and made no progress. So finally they came in and he said, we're going to try something different. Because they're saying, we want a divorce. No hope. He said, okay, I'll, I'll be okay with your divorce if you'll do this. Would you commit yourself for the next two months as an individual to never ask for your needs to be met and to only ask how you could meet your spouse's needs. Well, that sounds challenging, doesn't it? Guess what? In two months, they fell in love with each other. In two months, there was no talk of divorce. Why? Because when I finally lose myself, something great happens. And guys, as a church, we've got to make sure that when we read this, we're convicted that we don't come to church to be consumers. As wonderful as this church is, if you just come here for what you can get and who's going to speak to you and who's going to serve you and do you get your way for any of us, you're going to be sadly disappointed. But if you come here for what you can give, oh my goodness, you will never be disappointed. We know this to be true. And just finally, one more point. Jesus reframes our power to influence. Why is Jesus so impactful? Why can we say with great assurance Jesus was the greatest leader to ever walk the globe when he so counter our normal view? Why? Because I don't know about you, but I cannot, even when I want to, walk away from a God who washes feet. I cannot turn my back on a God who forgives the people who just put spikes in his hands and his feet. I cannot turn my back on a God who humbles himself to die on a wicked piece of execution, a cross. That's power. 
And we got to understand that today. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul regenerated by love. Guys, that's what makes the gospel attractive. It's not because we can command everybody in society. It's because we humbly serve, even doing the menial tasks that nobody else wants to do in our family, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our nation. So, we started off this morning with an example. I want to end with a present-day living example among us. Today, we sadly are announcing the resignation, retirement of Junior Bagwell as an elder of this church. And I, I just couldn't think of a better topic to talk about on a day like today. Because Junior and Becky Bagwell live out as well as anybody I know what, we've, what Jesus has just taught us. I can start with just some statistics. They became members of the Landmark Church in 1983. They've been here 38 years. In 1936, Junior took over the ministry of cutting the grass. And even a few months ago, if you walked out here, you would see Junior on the back of that lawnmower cutting grass. I've heard a lot of young men talk about what that said to them. For 23 years, they served in inner city ministry in all kinds of roles. They served with our youth ministry for over a decade. They served as life group leaders, one of our most important positions in this church, for 22 years. In fact, they with Doug Prater were part of starting the first small group in the Landmark Church. And think about this, that was before you were able to skip a regular church time to have a small group. They did it on Friday nights. Junior, Becky, you've been on eight mission trips. You ever been to Malawi with them? You couldn't keep up with them. And to top this all out, he's been a humble shepherd for 20 years. This spring was his 20th anniversary as a shepherd. And here's what adds to this whole picture. The last 15 years, he's done all of this while suffering with Parkinson's disease. We love this family. And we thank you for living it among us. Let me just tell a couple stories, make it even more real to me. If you were here years ago, there was a moment where Junior was uh, laid off uh, from UPS as a UPS driver. That's what he did for years. And I'll never forget, after his job came back, one day he was leading communion, back when you also led offering thoughts. And he shared that when he had gotten, left out, gotten laid off, that God had convicted him and Becky that instead of cutting their offering like most of us would do, they decided to test God and double it. 
And on that day, he had all these stories of how God had richly blessed him in every way. His first elders meeting, I'll never forget. We're meeting this room down here. Our wonderful elders, always humble. First time Junior walks in the room, they say, Junior, you're the chairman of the elders for the next three months. And I'll never forget Junior's comment. Hey, guys, guys, last month I was in charge of the grass cutters, and now you're making me chairman of the elders? And he just humbly did it and served. Oh, I think about so many times in elders meetings, he's been the most consistent person among us when the leadership is meeting to say, hey, guys, we've talked too much. We just need to pray. And if you've ever been to their house and eating dinner with them, man, they're going to take you to a prayer bench and they're going to pray over you like nobody else. I think of so many things. It just shows his servant heart. Junior had asked to resign months ago. But just, I'm not trying to rile anybody up, but just to tell you how sensitive he is. The reason he, he did not announce his resignation months ago because Junior did not want it to be wrapped up in our decision to start an instrumental service. He didn't want anybody to think that he objected to what was going on. He was a part of it. And so he was willing to wait for months for us to even have this day. Let me tell you one more story. This is my favorite. Junior Becker were real active in the youth ministry. And a few years ago, Al Milgram was our youth minister and took them to Pensacola on a youth retreat. And they had all kinds of great time. But one of the best times is they, they went to a place to all do paintball. And if you know Junior, you know no one works out, no one exercises like Junior. It served him so well these last 15 years. And even before, he was just, Junior was in crazy shape and just agile and quick. And so they're playing paintball with a bunch of teenagers and Junior is wiping them out, okay? Don't be confused about this guy, okay? He is wiping them out. And finally, there's a barrier for him to be able to get to. He has to jump over the barrier, land, and be ready. Nobody knows when he landed, he broke his arm. And he kept on shooting. <laughs> He's very competitive. He was the last man standing. And then he let Becky take him to the ER and get a cast on, okay? Don't you love that? And so I think it's like what Jesus is talking here. Behind this servant, behind this, this man who just is a behind-the-scenes guy, do not think it's a lack of ambition or drive. It absolutely wasn't. And we are a better church today. Much better. Because Junior Bagel and Becky Bagel and their children have been among us. So today I want to invite the Bagel family up on stage. We got all of them here. Would you guys come up? Today we honor a great servant, an amazing leader. Today, right in front of us, Jesus would say, we are looking at true greatness. We need this model.
So I would like to invite um, Jeremy, if you would. There's a letter of resignation that Junior wanted read at this point. He's going to read that to us. Landmark family, after much thought and prayer, I have decided that it's time for me to step down as a shepherd. It has been an honor to serve Landmark in this way. We appreciate all of the love and support our family has received over the 38 years we've been a part of this body, especially since I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Please know that we love all of you deeply and are available anytime you would like prayer or there's something we, some way we can help you in your spiritual growth. I encourage you to work with and support these godly men that I have served with to help Landmark grow and continue to be a beacon that will lead others to Jesus. I can promise you that all decisions that they make are after much thought and prayer. We are truly blessed to be part of this wonderful family of believers, your brother, Junior. Thank you. We are truly the ones blessed. I want to invite all of our shepherds, curtain past shepherds. Jim, if you'd come up with them too, I want you to lay hands on uh, Junior. And our brother Doug Prater is going to pray. And uh, we also have an el- uh, a gift from the leadership of this church that we wanted to present to Junior and Becky. It is a brand new prayer bench with the words, pray without ceasing. It will be signed by all the elders in the history of this church. Zane's going to pray. Excuse me, I've, I've mixed up on that. Let's all, let's all pray and thank God for what we're witnessing today. Before we pray, I'd like to read from Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Junior and Becky and their family. God, thank you for their example of how to live and how to love you and others and how to love your word. God, thank you for their example of service to to you and to us, for their humility and kindness and honesty and hospitality and their attitude of continual fervent prayer and for what they've taught us about grace. Lord, I thank you for their legacy of their biologic family and even more for the blessing of being a part of the bigger spiritual family that they've influenced. Thank you for their exemplary, steadfast faith despite uncertain financial situations in the past and very difficult health situations now. Lord, as they transition, we all know that they now and always will lead and shepherd us. Please allow us, as their spiritual family, to rally around them, to love on them, to bless and care for them the way they have done for us for so long. 
Lord, please give them strength and patience now. In quiet moments, Lord, encourage them and let them feel the presence of your spirit. Lord, allow them to understand some of the impact that they've had and just what they mean to all of us. Allow them an abundance of memories in, their, in the service that they've given and an awareness of the effect that their work has had. Lord, allow these memories to be a blessing to them. Lord, let them hear you say, well done. Let them hear you say that the work that they have done and the influence that they continue to have makes you proud. Lord, we love this family. Allow us to follow in their example as they continue to lead us during this season of their lives. Lord, please bless your servants, Junior and Becky. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you join me in expressing your appreciation for this wonderful family? Please be seated. We're going to close our time today with communion in just a moment. What a special, special communion this will be. But before that, we want to give you a chance to respond to what's happened, and what you've learned today, what you've heard or been reminded of. What makes Jesus' stories so amazing to me in the context of what we studied last week when Jesus brought a child up, and in the context of him washing feet, do you recognize what was going on among his disciples? They were in the middle of arguing about who was the greatest. They're so far from getting what Jesus wanted, and yet Jesus is gracious to them. They're arguing about who's the greatest, and Jesus says, come on, guys, let me pull a child up here. Let me, let me do something unpredictable. Give me a baby. Let me hold this baby in front of you. This is what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God. You're humble, and you guys are arguing about who's the greatest. This is what greatness is. It's to wash feet. It's to be a servant. So I, I don't know about you, but today strikes me as a day of humility, it's a day for me to, to thank God for people like Junior and Becky that bless our lives, to thank God at the foot of this cross that we have a God who serves us, who came this earth and washed feet and died on a cross. So we're going to do something we hadn't been able to do for a year in service. Some of you maybe knew you've never seen this, but... We're just going to invite you while we sing these next couple songs just to come and kneel around these steps and just pray for a moment. You don't have to give me a card. You don't have to say anything. Because kneeling is one of the greatest signs of humility. And certainly to kneel at the foot of this cross is to kneel before our Lord and say, God, thank you for servants. And, and for you and I to express, Lord, we need you we're like little children, totally dependent on you. And there may be something going on in your life right now you can't figure out and you can't do. Humble yourself before him. And for all of us, what a moment for us to come before God and say, Okay, God, 
make me a servant. Make me like you. I'm a long ways off, and I need your help. So while we're singing, just as you feel compelled, just come bow around this stage, pray a prayer, and then go back to your seat. And then we'll close out our service in a powerful way. Let's all stand together and sing.